We're just delighted that you can be um, with us as we continue our series on the book of Acts. Uh, Katie Martin is our kids coordinator and she's uh, not here. She's having a well-deserved break. Um, But uh, she has written uh, the musing that we kind of put on the pew sheet. Uh, And it's a great musing and it really picks up on our vision here at St. Phillips of, of growing young. And uh, our, um, every, uh, the role that everyone can play in reaching uh, young people. So I, I really commend this really wonderful musing. Uh, and you'll, if you're visiting, get a bit of a sense of uh, what we're on about at uh, St. Philip's. And uh, uh, we're continuing this series on Acts. And um, what we learned last week is that one of the marks of the Holy Spirit is surprise. Uh, a surprise like uh, when Nick Russell, who's a local... Uh, chaplain at, at the boys' grammar school, um, decides to step out in faith to uh, baptise, uh, have a baptism and confirmation, uh, hoping that a handful of people might respond. Um, and then, uh, surprise, over 20 people respond to get baptised and confirm. That was just a few weeks ago. Uh, and like when uh, Kate Martin, uh, who's here this morning, uh, prays to God that uh, 14 people will come and attend Alpha which we ran last term, and God decides to show up and bring over 40 people along. Uh, And like what happened last week, where there's a man who's uh, at uh, the beautiful gate at the temple, and he asks for arms and gets legs. Uh, It's an amazing surprise of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the marks that we saw that the Holy Spirit does. He surprises us uh, with what he can do and his grace, his goodness, and his love. Uh, This is a picture of the temple, and the miracle took place, uh, we're told in Acts 3, at the beautiful gate. So this uh, lame man was put there uh, every day at the hour of prayer, and it was 3 p.m. that Peter and John saw him, and he asked for alms, and Peter said, silver and gold we have none, but what we do have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Uh, And then he um, is taken into the temple, probably for the first time, because people with that kind of defect weren't allowed in the temple. And we're told that uh, another mark of the Holy Spirit is not just surprise, but joy. He was leaping and jumping and praising God. And we're told in Ephesians 5 that one of the fruits of the Spirit that that he brings is joy. And uh, he's leaping and jumping and praising God. And, uh, and so after that happens, we're told in uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, verse 11, it says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. And so um, we've moved from the kind of leaping and jumping and praising God in this um, court of the women in the temple. And now we're in Solomon's portico, which is this bit here uh, on the eastern wall. And um, just so you know, get some perspective about where they are. This portico was 12 metres high, so uh, very tall, and it was 274 metres uh, long, which is larger than an AFL uh, footy field. Uh, And uh, I think it was about six metres wide. Uh, And so that's where uh, Peter kind of gets up and he... Uh, starts to uh, preach this sermon and explain what it is that's happened. And so in terms of the flow of the passage, I I want you to notice that um, first we see compassion for this lame man, and then that leads to charismata, which is a Greek word that just means spiritual gifts. And in this case, it's the spiritual gift of faith and the spiritual gift of healing. And then the charismata leads to confession, 
And by confession, I don't mean asking for forgiveness. I mean it in, in a less used sense of a, a proclamation of the truth. So that's the flow of this passage. There's compassion, then there's charismata, and then there's a confession of Christ. And, um, and, and so uh, that's what we're going to go through this morning. And, and just to note the compassion, remember that was uh, in contrast to uh, the two guys in the, the parable of the the Samaritan, the two religious guys, this parable that Jesus told, uh, who, when they saw a person who was in need on the side of the road, what did they do? They looked the other way and they just kept on going. And so um, this lesson that Jesus taught his disciples is beginning to sink in, um, and almost literally in a sense, because it's just been Pentecost. And of course, what happened at Pentecost is that Jesus, who was in a body and outside of them, has now by the Spirit started to indwell his disciples. And so no wonder they're sort of taking on this lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And when they see this lame man, they don't look the other way. They actually extend to him this help. And so Jesus, how wonderful, Jesus is starting to rub off on his disciples. And they extend this compassion, but that leads to charismata, the the spiritual gift of healing. But I want to ask, how did that happen? Last week, we looked at sort of what happened. We focused on what happened. This week, I want to ask, how did that happen? And and Peter um, kind of, we get a clue in verse 3. Peter says um, to the crowd, uh, why do you wonder at this? Sorry, verse 13, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. Uh, Peter's saying it it wasn't our power that healed this guy. It it wasn't our piety that healed this guy. The reason why this guy was healed uh, had nothing to do with us. Why are you uh, looking at us? A piety just means sort of our righteousness or our devotion. It, It wasn't because of our power and it wasn't because of our piety. And I just think that's really encouraging for us as we pray for other people to know that it's not by our power and it's not by our piety that anyone is healed. No wonder he's so quick to deflect attention away from himself and say, no, 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 it's not us who did this. I'm I'm reminded of what Paul says, actually, in Ephesians 2 verse 80. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. And that's exactly what we see here, that this gift of uh, healing is by grace through faith and it is not from Peter. So who's it from? How did it happen? How did this man get this amazing healing? Well, look at what Peter says in verse 16 in his sermon to the crowd. Remember, we're in Solomon's portico here. He says, by faith in his name. Whose name? He's talking about the name of Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. So how was this man healed, according to Peter? It was by faith, he says, by faith in his name, in the name of Jesus. But let me ask you, whose faith? Who had faith? When the layman was sitting there and he asked them for alms, which just means like some kind of gift or money, what was he expecting? He was expecting alms. He was expecting money in return. 
So it wasn't the faith of the lame man that made him well. Who was it that had faith, according to this story? It was Peter. Peter who had faith. Uh, Peter says, the faith that is through Jesus. Where did it come from, this faith? It says it was through Jesus. The faith that is through Jesus has given him his perfect health. In other words, faith isn't something that you can muster up on your own. He says it's a faith through Jesus. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul says faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. And so this faith is actually a gift. It's a spiritual gift, a charismata. That's what charismata means, a spiritual gift. And and Paul says that we all have spiritual gifts. In, In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith. That's what we see here. Faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And so this is a charismata. Peter has been given the gift of faith. So on that day, as Peter and John go through the beautiful gate... By the Spirit of Jesus, God gave Peter the gift of faith and the gift of healing. That's why Peter says in verse 16, the faith that is through Jesus has given him his perfect health. John Piper points out that um, Luke says in verse 2 that every day this man was put at the beautiful gate. So Peter had, on his way to prayers, passed this man many times before without ever healing him. But today, when he looked at him, something happened. What was it? The faith to heal this man came to Peter through Jesus. The the living Jesus did something in Peter, and Peter knew today was the day. When Peter says, what I have, I give you, he's saying something like to the man, today I've been given something very special from the Lord Jesus for you. Jesus has given me the faith to speak healing to you and now I share this gift with you. Stand up and walk. Did you notice in verse 6 that Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk? And then again in verse 16 he says, by faith in Jesus' name, His name itself has made this man strong. In Hebrew thought, the name is invoking the very presence and the power. The name of God, the name of Jesus, he's invoking the very presence and power of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. And if you've been tracking with us in, uh, in through the book of Acts, it's always worth remembering that the story of Acts is the story of what Jesus, who ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, it's a story of what Jesus continued to do and to teach by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So this is Jesus at work by the Spirit, bringing life through the apostles. This is a story about Jesus. He's everywhere. So this compassion in the story leads to charismata, the spiritual gifts of of faith and for healing. But then this charismata then leads to confession. And remember, by confession, I don't mean, oh, I'm sorry, that was my, my fault. Confession as in a proclamation of the truth. 
And uh, John Piper points out that just in three short verses, if you uh, have got verses 13 to 15 in front of you, in just three short verses, uh, Peter makes five affirmations about the Lord Jesus and he makes four accusations to the crowd about what they did to this Jesus. So uh, if you look at verse 13... uh, to look at these affirmations firstly. Peter says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus. Now, the first thing to notice, uh, the first affirmation he's making is that Jesus is the long-awaited servant of the Lord. Our first reading was from Isaiah 53. Remember, he's preaching to Jews. They knew their Old Testament really well. And there was a prophecy, four prophecies in Isaiah about this servant of the Lord who would come. And so when Peter says his servant, Jesus, he's saying this is the long-awaited servant. And I mean, I don't know how many times you've read Isaiah 53, as Jeff helpfully pointed out, 700 years before Christ came. And it's such a vivid picture of Christ. And Peter is telling these Jews, that servant that you've been waiting for is Jesus. Jesus is the servant of the Lord, firstly. But secondly, he says, God glorified his servant, Jesus. In other words, God gave him, like we sang in our second song, the name above all names, the place that all the honour, all the glory, all power and praise is given to Jesus. That's the first two affirmations. Verse 14, um, continuing on. But you rejected the holy and righteous one. In other words, he's the holy and righteous, not a holy and righteous, he is the holy and righteous one. Not a criminal, not a blasphemer, he's the holy and righteous one. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life. There's the fourth affirmation. Jesus is the author of life. In other words, he was there in the beginning. He's a co-creator with God that everything that exists but he's also the author of spiritual life. He's the one who gives eternal life and brings about the new creation. Jesus is the author of life, fourthly. And then fifthly, verse 15, you killed the author of life whom God has raised from the dead. God raised him, God vindicated him. You tried to cancel him like no one has ever been cancelled in the history of the world. And God vindicated him and raised him up and gave him the place of all honour. So there you are, five affirmations about Jesus. He's the long-awaited servant of the Lord. God, He was glorified by God. He's the holy and righteous one. He's the author of life. He's raised by God from the dead. No wonder Peter says, don't look at us. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Just like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. But after all those five affirmations, Peter goes and makes four accusations against the crowd. I want you to note the boldness of Peter compared to the night on which Jesus was betrayed, where he ran away and denied Jesus three times. But now again, with the spirit of Jesus inside of him, look at the boldness and the transformation that he's made. Uh, These four accusations, again, verse 13, he says, The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over, that's the first accusation, and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You see what he's saying there? You're worse than Pilate. Pilate was going to let him go. This pagan Pilate, 
when you righteous Jews and you let him go, you crucified him when Pilate wanted to let him go. You're worse than Pilate, a pagan. Third accusation in verse 14. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. In other words, you traded infinite righteousness and holiness and beauty. You traded that and you wanted a murderer instead. And the fourth and final accusation, verse 15, you killed the author of life. Not only did you reject the one who came to bring life, but you murdered him so that your hands are dripping with divine blood. And not only are your hands dripping with divine blood, but you chose to have a murderer, one who takes life in place of the author of life, the one who gives life. Can you see the insanity of rejecting Jesus and how suicidal it is to reject Jesus the way that they have rejected him? But look that how, how merciful God is that Peter goes on and he says, repent therefore and turn to God. To think that this God who has been so maliciously rejected would even entertain the thought of extending forgiveness and grace to his enemies. Do you see the kindness of God? And, and he extends this repentance and this hope of new life and he holds out these three promises for for these enemies. Promise number one in verse 20. Repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Relief, refreshing, renewal. Promise number two, that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus. Verse 21, who must remain in heaven until, promise number three, the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago. These are the promises for those who repent, for those who will turn around from their rejection of God's king and come under his rule and reign and receive his forgiveness. But notice that final promise, universal restoration, because there's an interesting dynamic going on here, because this healing of the lame man is actually a foretaste and a microcosm of a future universal restoration where there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more pain. What we see here is Jesus, in a sense, it's kind of like back to the future where in the future there'll be no more sickness or suffering or sin, but the future has stretched back into the present through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus and we get a picture of what the future is going to be look like. We're seeing a microcosm of the universal restoration to come through the Holy Spirit. It's a foretaste. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we see, this picture of a future that will be a universal and complete restoration. So I want to ask, what do we do with a story like this? So what? How do we apply it? Well, I think the first thing is that we should ask for and expect God to show up in power, to perform miracles and signs and wonders because he's the same God today as he was yesterday and will be forever. You know, the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says this. He says, remember the great chapter, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, follow the way of love, which is what Peter and John are doing, right? That's where it starts. 
follow the way of love. And then Paul says, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That's what he says. Follow the way of love, what Peter and John are doing, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Compassion leads to charismata. And this Greek word again, spiritual gifts. And the healing of the lame man is is a wonderful illustration of the manifestation of the gift of faith and the gift of healing. So Paul says we should be eager for walking the way of love. That's the foundation, compassion. But be eager for spiritual gifts. Brothers and sisters, are you eager for spiritual gifts? Are you eager for the manifestation of the Spirit's presence and power in us as a church and in you and through you, that you can share in the joy of seeing God come up through the power of the Holy Spirit as you pray for people? And are you eager for spiritual gifts in asking for prayer and asking that people will pray for you? His kingdom come, his will be done. Are you eager for spiritual gifts, for the charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? to be in operation in your life and in the life of the church. Paul says, walk in the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Are you doing that? Second thing I think we can do with a story like this is that we can see what a rounded and holistic ministry actually looks like. Remember, there's a threefold ministry going on in this story. It begins with compassion, walking in the way of love, that leads to charismata, the manifestation of spiritual power that then leads to a confession, a bold confession about the Lord Jesus, about who he is. Uh, If you look at the church, I think it's really interesting uh, to look at the sweep of the church, how you can see how churches tend to pick one of these things to the detriment and, and sort of play down other elements Um, Rather than be able to take all three of them, it's hard for us to keep these things together. So, for example, you have compassionate churches where there's a strong emphasis on mercy and social justice who don't actually believe in miracles, that God uh, does miracles, and, and that certainly don't make a bold confession of Christ, preaching the whole counsel of God, but but rather kind of picking and choosing the bits that kind of work for them and ignoring the bits that culturally we find a bit awkward. Have you noticed that? Yet there are compassionate churches that aren't charismatic and don't confess Christ boldly. Am I alone in that? Can I get a bit of a... No, yeah, it's, yeah you see that, right? And then and they're to be commended, actually, for their compassion. Clearly, that is a reflection of who... Christ is, and yet we don't see that the, the charismatic power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't see them making a bold confession of Christ. But then, of course, on the other hand, there are confessional churches that do preach the whole counsel of God, that preach the creeds and the catechisms, that have in-depth Bible teaching and discipleship programs, who also don't believe in the charismata, that they don't believe in the spiritual gifts and the manifestations of God's power today. That was just for the apostolic age for some reason. And who also aren't compassionate, but can be judgmental, that don't extend compassion to the last, the least, and the lost. Can I get, does anyone notice that as, as well? Uh, and so uh, th- that's, that's, that's not how it's to be. Uh, we're, we're to hold these things together. There, there's a vision in this passage of holistic and well-rounded ministry. I've just in the last week or two finished reading a biography of Timothy Keller, um, who sadly passed away about 
um, uh, a month ago. Very sad news uh, of cancer. Um, But I was just so struck by how uh, he was able, through his vision and and, and his ministry to, to hold these things uh, together in a way that was so beautiful. He says at one point, a missional church will be more deeply and practically committed to deeds of compassion and social justice than traditional fundamentalist churches and more deeply and practically committed to evangelism and conversion than traditional liberal churches. This kind of church is profoundly counterintuitive to modern believers who are no longer able to categorize and dismiss a church as liberal or conservative. But this is the only kind of church that has any chance of reaching the non-Christian West. This is why we so desperately need each other and the whole body because we have different gifts and we have different temperaments. If you think about those three things, compassion, charismata, and confession, we have our own temperaments that have us leaning more to one than maybe the, the other two. And so we actually need that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was able to hold all of these things within his body, within himself, but the church is the body of Christ, which means we need all of us to be able to reflect the fullness of Christ, and we need to be exercising our gifts, but coming under submission to Jesus to measure his fullness. And not only do we need each other, but different churches need each other to express it in different ways. And you could say even different denominations need it to to express the, the fullness of who Jesus is. And so my hope and my prayer for St. Philip's is that we would be a church of Compassion, radical compassion, eye-catching, sacrificial compassion. How good to see a story of uh, what uh, Dick is doing down in Frio, caring for people. And may the Lord bless that and may the Lord uh, rise up in us more compassion for the last, the least, and the lost. And my hope and prayer is that we would see more of the charismata, the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst, because he is not dead, our Lord Jesus. He is alive and present in our midst, that we would have the expectation that Peter and John had, that when we pray, he hears and that he answers our prayers. And my hope and prayer is that we would be a charismatic church. And my hope and prayer for St. Philip's is that we would be a confessional church, boldly proclaiming the whole counsel of God and proclaiming Christ not picking and choosing the bits that we like or the bits that the culture likes and leaving out the bits that are are offensive or a bit awkward in our culture, but holding on to the full confession of Christ as we read it in the Scriptures, the apostolic deposit. Is anyone with me in that? Well, I think we can pray to that end. In God's providence, I am on intercessions today and I want to spend some time praying for those things. Now, uh, if you're not used to praying uh, in groups or you're visiting, please feel free to just uh, sit quietly or, or discuss what you've been struck by in the sermon. But what I've got up on the slide are things that we can pray for ourselves and for our church. And I just want to give you a few moments to turn to the person next to you if you feel comfortable. Otherwise, you can pray quietly with yourself uh, and pray for these things. I'm not going to go through them all, but I've just given you some 
suggestions. No need to waste time chatting. Just dive in and talk to the Lord. One, two, three, go.